0: Good morning, everybody. It's Jeff Goldberg for the Sales Pro Network. It is Friday, October 21st. Great selling season. And as some of you know, I'm a sales coach and trainer. I work with both individuals and organizations internationally to help them increase their sales. And I founded the Sales Pro Network as a place where salespeople can come and learn, network with each other, ask questions, get great advice from fantastic experts. And every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern, we either do a training live or we have a live interview with somebody who can add value to the profession of sales. And once again, today is no exception. It's my pleasure to introduce you to Harry Spate. Harry, just give me a second uh, to say that if you're watching us live, please say hello in the comments. If you're watching us live on Facebook and you have not connected your account to StreamYard, it won't tell me who you are. So be sure to put your name there. If you have any questions for our expert today, uh, then please put those in the comments too. And finally, if you're watching us on the replay, please put replay in the comments when you do. So now it's my pleasure to introduce you to the host of the Sales Made Easy podcast and the author of Selling with Dignity, Harry Spade. Good morning, Harry. Good morning, Jeff. Great to be here. Happy Friday, sir. Happy Friday to you. So Harry, can we start with you maybe giving us a a two or three minute version of your background? What brought you up to this point?
1: Yes. So starting at birth or a little later after that?
0: Just a drop. I always say I popped out of the womb selling the nurses and doctors. But uh, yeah, what got you to the point where you are now?
1: <laughs> All right. Well, sorry about that. You got me laughing. And yes, I, I agree uh, exactly with what you just said or wholeheartedly. So I have a fairly unique background. I came out of the mission field. So, prior to me getting into sales, I was in another type of sales, if you will, where I was selling a better way of living, a sense of purpose. And it really came through something that's been around for thousands of years. So, leaving that, the mission field from the Dominican Republic, uh, within a few months, I was sitting inside of a sales bullpen. And if you want to talk about a fish out of water, a missionary in a sales bullpen is probably a little bit more extreme. So I struggled mightily in sales. And then finally, I realized that I couldn't be someone else. I could not be the hard closer, you know, the sharp, you know, type A. It's all about me, sales guy. And uh, I said, you know what, I'm pretty good at serving people. I'll just see if I can serve people and make a success out of this. And I stumbled into using those old principles that have been around for thousands of years, bringing them into the corporate space and built a very nice career out of that. And after 20 plus years, I said, you know what, there's probably a few other people like me that are not the strong salesy type that just want to succeed in their business and so my mission is to help them and uh, that's why i wrote the book selling with dignity because people of all types uh have good moral values and uh they can use those in selling just like uh you know the wolf of wall street may use something differently (laughs)
0: well you brought up in the movie that i was going to mention you so you're saying you're not like the guys in boiler room or wolf of wall street or like alec baldwin from glengarry glen ross that's not really who you are
1: yeah, uh, yes, but I have seen um, a couple of those movies and have had some laughs for sure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, uh, I have been in places like that, and I've certainly been that guy in the past. My, you know, my, I started my sales career selling Encyclopedia Britannica door to door, and that was a pretty hard sell. But like you, I don't, uh, I don't sell that way anymore. My, my methodology and my personality have evolved over the years, uh, and. Uh, you know, in doing my research about you, I think we're very closely aligned. Uh, when you say the mission business, you were actually a religious missionary, yes?
1: I was, yeah, yeah. Wow. So, and what
0: made you decide yeah. to get out of that field?
1: Well, uh, number one, my wife uh, asked about how long we were going to be doing that because we we're getting too old to have kids, so that was the calling for her. So we ended up having a few children along the way. Once I got into sales and. So what was really cool about this whole thing is that I was real, I was borderline poverty, right? If you saw my income as while I was doing mission work, I had a janitorial business. So I worked literally, you know, 20 hours a week in the janitorial business to support the mission work until we went overseas, then, you know, didn't have any income. So, we lived in, you know, I look at the houses that I've lived in the past. I was like, oh, my God, if my kids ever saw that, right, it would have been a completely different experience for them. So uh, that getting into sales definitely changed my income uh, dramatically, to say the least.
0: Yep. Now, uh, I, I do research on everybody who I'm, I'm interviewing and uh, people say that you are unmatched in your level of energy and enthusiasm, How do you keep your energy and enthusiasm level high as you do, especially when things may not be going so well?
1: Yeah, uh, I'll be honest. I've not always been that way. But in 2007, I was given a new role. Uh, I volunteered for is to manage a Washington, D.C. sales office for a Fortune 500 company. And virtually everyone on the team quit. Uh, when I was put in that position, they were already on their way out. I, I swear that wasn't me, but one person said, Harry, I really liked you a lot more when you were in sales. And I went, Oh my god, that was like the most cutting thing that, and it still sticks with me 15 years later. So I learned then is like, I need to go back to happy go lucky positive hairy and get rid of this barking dog managerial style that somehow I picked up from someone else, apparently. Um, and so I let go of that and I just became who I really like to be, which is really positive, cheerful, optimistic, glass half full, you know, and, you know, Pollyanna of sorts. And shoot, that stuff just works. You know, people like it. Buyers like it. Team loved it. And uh, there's just so many fun stories with that stuff that it just uh, you know I've very fond memories of it, and I carry it out today. Yeah, it's interesting how many salespeople think they want to go into
0: management until they actually get the job and find out it's really not what they thought. And I've been in the situation where where you were too. Uh, I was once working at an insurance company, and they made me a manager, and. Uh, one of my first jobs was to train some a bunch of new people that were coming in. We had a room full of fifty people that were yeah. all being trained. I sent them out to lunch, and five came back. I lost forty-five people uh, because I was acting like I thought a sales manager was supposed to be acting. And boy, oh boy, you can bet I got the beckoning finger from the uh, what was called the chief of staff, the owner of the agency, and said, "What did you do?" I'm like, well, "I don't know. I was just being a manager." Well, I, I had to learn that I needed to be more like me, just like you need to be more like you. And it's not about sparking and commanding, uh, leading is very different. And it's really not for everybody. Um, yeah,
1: that's a great story. <laughs> I love it.
0: It wasn't great at the time, I'll tell you that. Yeah,
1: no, I, I hear you.
0: <laughs> um, why is it that so many salespeople come across as pushy? Uh, I, I know that, uh, you know, sales does get a bad reputation because there are people who, you know, do underhanded things. But most people think we are pushing and some salespeople really are. Why do you think that is?
1: You know, there's uh There's a lot of reasons for it. So first of all, a lot of people are really pushy and it's not just salespeople, but I mean, you know, the old bull in a China shop, I've hired a lot of bulls from China shops um, because I wanted them to get past the no. And a lot of people over the years were intimidated by the word no or not interested really is more like it. And those types of pushy, strong willed individuals can or have done pretty well in sales in the past but nobody is looking for those people now as buyers right so companies that have not adapted and think that those are the types of sales people that buyers that will be successful well ask a buyer who they want to work with and you know i i've heard sales people say things that they just they sniff the deal right they sniff it and they say oh There's an opportunity there. I have to dive in. I have to always be closing and this nonsense and buyers look at that and say, you know, and they test the buyers are testing salespeople to see how they respond and they throw out a little bit of bait and the bait could be, I really don't need what you're selling, but I'm going to throw a little bait and see how you respond and I, I can't tell you how many times salespeople fall, fall for that bait. You know, they just, they fall for it. They, they think there's an opportunity. I'm sitting back and saying, no, the thing to say here is, you don't need what we're offering right now. And when you can say that, they know it. They're willing to, they're waiting to see if you have enough uh, intelligence and character to say that as well. And versus selling the wrong thing. So I mean that's probably a long-winded answer, but there's yeah. Uh, perfect. Yeah. It's perfect. And and
0: that whole thing about always be closing, I've always had a problem with that. You know, and that's the famous line from Glengarry Glenn Ross, you know, ABC always be closing. Yeah. I can't walk into somebody's office or get on a Zoom call and say, Hi, I'm Jeff Goldberg, I'm a sales coach, wanna buy? (laughs) there, there are a few things that have to happen before it's time to say wanna buy. And eventually you do have to ask that question, but Always be closing. That's ridiculous. It is. Uh, by the way, yeah. somebody's saying hello, Facebook user. Hello to you too. We don't know who you <laughs> are. Let's put your name in there. Um, people are under huge pressure to perform. There's no doubt about it. it, it yes, you've got it. You've got to do that. And sometimes that pressure results in people, let's just say it politely, cutting corners. Yeah. You, like the great Zig Ziglar, say serve first, which is also my philosophy, and the sales will follow. Can you expand on that a little bit?
1: Yeah. I mean. So, uh, working for a publicly held Fortune 500 company, we salespeople all had quotas. We, the sales leader had quotas. VPs, we all had quotas. We all had to give a forecast, and when the end of the month came or was approaching, you know, it was not always pleasant, right? It was <laughs> it was difficult to maintain that positive spirit sometimes, and you know. You can only forecast so much that a deal is going to happen. We cannot control when a buyer is going to sign the document. We can do check all the boxes, give them the paperwork, they say I need to think about or I need to I'll get it done this week or I'll get it done in two days. I need someone else's stamp of approval, whatever. That document can sit on someone's desk literally for months. And we're thinking, oh, you know, how many times do you want to annoy the person? And, you know, after a couple of days, you know, they give you the timeline. You try to do the follow up, put it in the calendar and you try to do all the right things. There's no there's no perfection We're dealing with people. So I've always said to my team, it's like you cannot rely on what you think is the forecast. You have to continue to backfill in case companies that are in the market, that are on your hot sheet, that are 90% closed. You've already told me it's closed because they agreed, but they didn't sign and nothing is closed until that paperwork is in and whatever you're doing is delivered. Cause even afterwards, people can change their minds and I've seen it all. So staying positive, continuing to work, not counting the proverbial chickens before they hatch um because you know the line to ask the salespeople is like okay so that's if that doesn't come in what's next and you know you want to encourage them you do that positively and say how can i help you how can we get past this and how can i help you what other accounts can we work on together who can we call and you know when you show that versus you know what an idiot i can't believe harry is putting all his eggs in one basket. If that deal doesn't come through, Harry's let me down big time. I'm never going to trust Harry again. You know, And that's the person that takes it very personally in leadership and is not really encouraging the team, would be yeah. my take. What's your thought on that?
0: Well, I actually believe that the deal isn't closed until your check clears my bank. That's not, <laughs> not even the signature anymore. When your check clears my bank, I know the deal is closed. And Yeah,
1: I'm with even you better.
0: Uh, salespeople... By their very nature, have to be optimistic. We have to be because for yeah. most of us, we hear no way more often than we hear yes. So, in order to continue doing our job, you know, getting beat up on a daily basis, yeah. uh, we we have to believe everything's going to work out. But in fact, usually it doesn't. More often than not, it doesn't. And if we're not continually adding to the pipeline and continually uh, realizing that it's real. Of course, you have to have a sales process, but it's really about the buyer pr- process. It's what's their timeline. And right. I have not yet figured out in 48 years of sales, how I can force somebody to do something according to my timeline. I want everything to close yesterday and close double what I thought it was going to, but that doesn't usually happen. And right. I'm finding that as time continues on, it gets longer and longer. It gets harder to get that decision made, to get the paperwork signed because people are busy doing a million things and they've got their own pressure. So I'm with you a million percent. Let's talk a little bit about the book. What what does Selling with Dignity actually mean? And why did you write the book?
1: Yeah. So Selling with Dignity, I think, covers three areas, really, Jeff. Um, So the first one is have dignity, treat others with dignity, um, the buyer. Right. And the people around you. So the buyer is not a number. There are no gatekeepers. Right. Everybody is a person with that was born by parents, somebody that loved them, that has families that have difficult days that don't want to be interrupted. You know, there was a book out years ago that said basically when someone picked up the phone, you just say, Jeff Goldberg, please. And you don't acknowledge the person that picked up the phone. I read that book. I'm like, yeah, I can't do that. Because the person I mean, coming from where I came from, you know, everybody was a person. So you treat everyone with dignity is one is one aspect of it. The other aspect is have dignity for sales. You know, there are some great, great sales leaders and sales authors and sales gurus that are just class acts. They do the right thing. Zig Ziglar comes to mind. And there's a lot in modern days. Uh, Anthony Anarino, uh Larry Levine. Uh, yeah, There's tons of them. And of course, my, Mike Weinberg. Right. There's there's all these great authors. Uh, Lee Sauls. Lee these Sauls people right. do the right thing. Right. So when I look at shady salespeople and I say, do you read anything? Oh, no, no. I I don't like to read. Right. And so do you like to watch video? I mean, is there something that you can you should see what these other people do and work on your craft? So have dignity for the craft. And then finally, the third aspect is dignity for yourself. Right. Don't lower your standards. Don't don't do things that you're going to regret. And I I've I've done things that I regret. Okay, so I'm not perfect. I have been a little bit of a shyster, saw an opportunity a couple of times, and then I felt dirty about it. Right. And then I realized that's not how I want to be. So you quickly let go of that. So if you have these moments where you say, "Mm, that's a little twinge in my conscience, let it go, do the right thing, respect yourself, you sleep easier at night, but sometimes we have to learn that. And then, uh, you know, but that's okay. As long as we're making progress going forward.
0: Yeah, I'm I, I'm I'm going to add a couple of names to that list. Todd Caponi is terrific. Steve Bookbinder is terrific. I mean, there's so many.
1: Yeah.
0: Look, I'm I'm like you, a sales expert. Here's five <laughs> books sitting on my desk that you know I'm still getting to read because uh, there's always somebody who knows something that you don't. There's another angle or technique or just a different way of looking at it. I'm so yeah. with you when you say people. Um, I always. Look, if you're Nike, you're buying the brand. But for most of us, we're not selling the company. We're selling us. People. Yeah. I used to work for a very well-known sales trainer. Uh, he ran a very large sales training organization. When I was going in selling his programs, yeah. they weren't buying him. They didn't know him. They, they knew of his name because he'd written a bunch of books. Yeah. But they were buying Jeff and his ability to deliver that gentleman's programs. I'm not going to mention his name. We don't get along that well anymore. <laughs> but uh, but uh, he was he a was, brilliant at what he did and they were buying me and you have i'm so you have to understand that the people that we're selling to are under pressures of their own and they have they have wives and husbands and dogs and cats and kids and problems and when we understand that and you know it's an over it's actually not an overused word it doesn't get used it it gets used a lot but that word empathy comes to mind
1: yeah you can't
0: put yourself in the other person's shoes it's definitely not about, hey, I need to hit my quota this month. Can you please sign that paperwork? Yeah. Who cares? People right. care about themselves. And one of my, sta- I, I have a lot of philosophies in life. And one of them is anytime you want somebody to do something for you, like sign a contract or take a meeting, they've got to see why it's good for them. Yeah. And when we come from that servant mentality that you're talking about in your book, uh, I think that's a much better way of doing it than Look, I am kind of a type A. I actually have to dial myself back on a regular basis because I can come across as as, uh, pushy or or overly uh, not enthusiastic But that pushiness, I have to kind of dial that back so that people don't feel pressure because that's the last thing I want to do. And in my opinion, one of the best ways to avoid doing that is to make sure you've got plenty in the pipeline and you're not just depending on that one deal to come through. You know, when you don't have enough in the pipeline, that's when people get desperate. And that's where they start making calls every day. Hey, Harry, uh, it's Jeff Goldberg again. Have you have you forgotten about me? I, you know, what right. about that proposal? Still reason, here? You know, have you decided to do business with me and just forgot to let me know? No, they <laughs> didn't forget to let you know. They've got other priorities.
1: So, so true. and are well, well, some um, of the traits? Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. So I, I love what you just said. So the uh, the challenge is, I think. So my goal is always to lead with the other person. So instead of I, right, starting off with I and uh, Liz Wendling, uh, I had her on a podcast once and she's written three books. She's awesome. Right. But she she took apart. Uh, oh, I would love to get together and talk to you about what you're doing. Right. So she talks about this love like it's the prospect would love to do it. No, you would love to do it because you are interested in growing your business, not them. So she she spoke about try to lead with the other person. So this was a couple of years ago. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to try to do that. And it's like every time now when I there's follow up that needs to be done, I try to think of how do I start this with the word you? And I'm telling you, that is a challenge. (laughs) And a lot of times and you know, I'm working on this program and I've, you know, I want to invite people to this workshop I'm doing. And people do this all the time. You get the invites on LinkedIn. Hey, Harry, I'm putting together this workshop. Love to have you. Well, there you go. They'd love to have me, but do I love to go, right? Or do I? So that's the challenge right there. So how do we lead with them? And the answer I think is if you really want to do it in the servant mindset is you have to have a conversation, even if it's a little back and forth on a direct message. What are you up to these days? How have you been since we last spoke? Get get something back. And if they don't respond, I'm not going to throw out an invitation because I'm clearly showing my interest to them was to get through that so I could send them an invitation, right? Or so I could lead with me. So this is a challenge. We can't fake this stuff. Either you decide that you're going to be servant minded and lead with the other person. You have to live it. And sometimes we're tempted uh, not to do that, but really it's better. And we just keep building the funnel that way. And you know, I'm convinced you know, having lived in abject poverty in a third world country, knowing that I'm not going to starve, right? So I I may not come as quickly as I want, but you know, do the right things and good things will happen. What's your thought? Yeah, well, so a lot of companies are using what's called uncertainty
0: marketing today. And and I, I like it very much. So as opposed to, hey, I'd like to get together with you, or I think we should get together. Hey, do you think it might be a good idea for the two of us to get together and chat about you know, yeah, what's going on here? Yeah, it it, it I, I can tell you that in email marketing it's certainly working much better and getting a much better response these days. Beautiful. Um, how can people who feel like maybe they're not cut out for sales or maybe that they're too nice for sales, how can those people can
1: they succeed? And if so, how? Yeah, well, I think uh so the analogy I use in selling with dignity is just going to the fine dining restaurant. You have incredible servers in fine dining and some of them are really outgoing but some are really introverted and shy i mean they that i mean they're perfect on what is on the menu and what the specials are they know their craft they know their product their service is impeccable but you can tell they're not really comfortable around those people you know then you've got others that will come over and they'll spend 10 minutes talking to you and asking about your family and whose birthday it is and they'll get really chummy with you. Well, so you have different types of personalities that are in fine dining. Well, the quiet ones, I like the quiet ones too, right? I like the ones that are going to have conversation, but I like the quiet ones and their demeanor. So they have their quote unquote, their audience. And what they do is they serve they ask what you'd like, right? They find out what your needs are. They serve impeccably and they ask for the order, right? They ask for the order with the specials. Would, would you like something off the specials list? Would They ask for the dessert. They ask for those specialty cocktail or the wine list, right? They continue to ask for the order without most people don't even think they're selling. Because right? you if you talk to someone who's not in sales, you ever think of the server as a salesperson? Uh, what? <laughs> right? But they're selling, right? They have they're driving revenue for that restaurant. So the shy, quiet types, if they just have that mindset of serving and get comfortable with a couple of expressions, would you like to see what it would look like to work with me? Right. I mean, it's just just say that a hundred times. And so that it becomes part of your muscle memory. Would you like to get together or, and see what it like, looks like to work with me? And I'm butchering it, right? I need to say it more often. But get a comfortable expression so that you're not paralyzed when someone says, you know, so what is it you do? And you know there's a need and you have the conversation. You uncover the things. Don't end without asking, would you like to get together and see what this working together looks like next time? or a follow-up meeting, right? Get comfortable with that and repeat it and over look in the mirror, say it a hundred times and eventually become natural for you. It's not easy, right? But I still do that stuff. Thoughts? well, yeah. uh, uh, You may have seen, I was smiling because
0: you brought to mind a story and I don't want to get sidetracked, but I have to share this with you. I love stories. So, so, I'm sure like you, I've done a lot of traveling for in the business that we're in. You know, you go fly all over the world to train companies. And I used to do a lot of business with a company up in Canada called Rogers Radio. And I was at their uh, their uh, sales conference every January. And it was always held at the Eaton Marriott in Toronto. And there, I don't know if it's still there, but there used to be a fabulous uh, restaurant in there called JR's. And one time I got there, I don't know, about 10 o'clock at night, and I was thrilled that JR's was still open. I hadn't eaten in hours. I think my plane might have been delayed. And I sat down and the waiter was impeccable. It, it, mm. I, I, I don't like it when the waiter comes or, or the server comes over and says, you know, are you enjoying everything as you're chewing a mouthful of something? You know, <laughs> that's awkward. Right. It's, it's like this guy was inside my head knowing exactly the moment I needed him. And yeah. here, here's the, the the greatest part of the story. I ordered a Bloody Mary and he said, have you ever tried a Bloody Caesar? And I said, no, what's that? He goes, oh, well, yeah, we use um, uh, um, clam juice instead of tomato juice. And I said, that sounds horrific. Just please bring me a Bloody Mary. Well, he brought me a Bloody Mary, but in a shot glass, he also brought me a Bloody Caesar. And he said, I'd like you to try it. If you don't want to, you don't have to, but I think you might like it if you give it a try. Left it on the table and walked away. Well, yeah. I tried it and it was actually, I know it sounds horrible, but it was actually delicious. And it, it really was, every. Every time I needed a, you know, I need some ketchup or I need a napkin, or, he was just there magically. So much yeah. so that at the end of the meal, I said, "You know, I've eaten a lot of nice restaurants all over the world for business, and you are by far the greatest server I've ever ever had the pleasure of of being mm-hmm. taken care of by." Yeah. Why? What, what is it? Why are you so good at this? And first of all, he was very self. He goes, "I'm not. I'm really not." Uh-huh, I said, no, "No, don't tell me that. You are. I'm telling you. You made a great meal." that much better and he goes well it's simply that i care i care about every single person who comes into this restaurant and i want them to have the greatest experience every single time and i just Mm -hmm. thought that was brilliant it's that servant mentality that you're talking about he wasn't interested in well i'm sure he's interested in getting tip because that's how they make money but his come from deep inside his gut was how can i take care of you and make this a fabulous experience that's what we're talking about here right harry
1: yeah, I, I so love that story. So thank you for sharing it. It's just uh, it incredible. gets even
0: better. It gets even okay. better. I right. was so impressed that the next morning, before I gave my talk, I went to the front desk and is there? I said, "Is the manager here for JR's? And the lady who was taking it said, "No." I said, "Can I leave a note for her?" Uh, she said, "Yes, she'll be in in about an hour." So I left a note just saying how wonderful this guy was and how much he made my experience better. When I got done with my talk and I was back up in my room, there was a cheese and fruit platter from the manager saying, we only hear about complaints. It's so lovely to hear that you had a good experience.
1: Yeah. It was just fantastic. It's so awesome.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yep. You, that,
1: you know, that stuff gives me the chills. I don't know why, but I mean, it's just those great stories that people really, they appreciate the craft. They exactly. love to serve people. Right. And they're constantly, I mean, there's psychology in that. You know, he he knows. Right. So he's observed and he's watched people. and he, he's probably interrupted somebody with food in their mouth and learned and said, you know, I'm not I'm going to sit back. And I'm going to wait. Right. And then I'm going to know. Right. But you learn these things along the way for people who are aware. Yeah. Right? I, it,
0: it, you know, we've all been to restaurants where people just throw the plate at you and, you know, yeah. check it it, it either this guy's an amazing actor or he really truly did care. And, and to me, it's, yeah. that, it's that truly caring about the prospect or the customer that makes the difference. You know, I, I always say that prospects can smell need and greed like dog smell fear. I call it commission breath. You know, I yeah. need to close the sale. They don't care about that. What they care right. about is how are you going to take care of me? So th- when we come from that, that's when we really are truly effective in sales and it feels better to them and to us. Yeah, totally. I know how to be pushy. I sold. Yeah. A, I sold a two thousand dollars set of books forty years ago, with, that their kids could go to the library and use for free. We were we were pushy. It was yeah. a one call thing. Did you ever? Did you ever put your foot in the door? I've never had to do that. But I can tell you this. I learned that there's a relationship between setting an appointment with the Encyclopedia Britannica salesperson and people dying, because I can't tell you how many times I got to the door. There was a note on it saying death in the family. Give me a call back. And then they would never answer the phone again. Yeah, <laughs> I've got I mean, plenty of encyclopedia stories, but I want I want to talk about you. Um, OK, a lot of people, including salespeople, of course, are worried about inflation and the economy mm. uh, personally. My business has never in my entire career been better. So knock on wood, but yeah. what advice do you have for salespeople who are concerned about the, the economy? Right.
1: now? Yeah. Um, so years ago in 2008, when the market crashed, I was in Washington, DC, had a sales team and the world was bleak. I mean, it was, it was a bleak time. And I, yeah. Years prior, someone said something, I don't even know where it came from, but they said, you know what, paint your windows black and focus on your own business. And we just kept reiterating that. Paint the windows black, control what you can control. You know, so if you think about it, and I just looked this up recently and posted it, is that in 2008, nine era, the economy was horrible. But there were it was uh, the GDP in the US was 15 trillion dollars. Okay, so there's a lot of people buying stuff at 15 trillion. The following year when during the made it was made it worse. It dropped by 237 million. Well, there's a million millions in a trillion. It's it's a big number. It's big. (laughs) It's a big number. So there will be plenty of business. I mean, how many clients do you need? Do you need 50? Do you need 100? You don't need a million. So while the rest of the world can go in panic mode, focus on the people that you need to work with If and get that number in your head and say, whatever the number is, I need 100 people to work with me this year and I'll be fine. And you'll be amazed at what you can do once you have focus and you put aside the crap that goes on around you and just focus on the good and there's there's business out there so that's yeah. what I would tell people yep
0: absolutely you, you have to realize look look there's reality are things challenging for some people they yeah. absolutely are are people worried about inflation and po- possible recession they are and that's a fact but there are plenty of people out there who still need what you've got do you, do you maybe have to work a little harder to find them maybe But they're still out there. It's even during COVID. You know that when when things first went bad and everybody was sitting at home, people were still buying. There are some people who really prospered. I think it's the person who continues to come from that servant mentality, maybe prospects a little bit more, and truly keep searching for the people who are out there who need it. That and and don't buy into the doom and gloom. There's reality, but there's also oh no, you can't buy. I say mindset is crucial and mm-hmm. I call it, I call it head trash. Like, yeah. I, I, I know you do coaching also. I'm guessing that like me, in about another week or two, you're going to start getting calls from people that sound like this, uh, which I also get, you know, in, in the spring and in the summer. And at this time of year, it's, Jeff, um, I, it doesn't look like I'm going to hit my quota. I've only got eight weeks left and we've got Thanksgiving and then Christmas and Hanukkah and all that. Yeah. So what am I supposed to do? Yeah. Well, the first thing to do is to get rid of the head trash that says you can't sell from Thanksgiving to, to New Year's. Because I am. Just, yeah. Here's my favorite one, Harry. You can't sell during the summer. Really? I, I I I always ask the same question. Why can't you sell during the summer? And by the way, yeah. I know what the answer is going to be. The answer is going to be because everybody's on vacation.
1: Yeah. No, they're, you not. No,
0: they're not. They're not. they're not on vacation for eight or twelve weeks. They're on vacation for a week or two.
1: I so, want their job. Well,
0: well, you know, I dated an Australian girl for a while who couldn't believe I only got two weeks vacation because she she had 12 or
1: 16. Okay. (laughs) So, yeah. But we're not in Australia. Well, for those listening in Australia, you may have a challenge in the summer. but Maybe. Everyone else else, can't use that.
0: We've got to get rid of that head trash. By the way, uh, Valerie says, I love serving people. I've always tried to anticipate what the customer may want or need. It's so rewarding to make others happy. Val, you're 100% right. Um, Yeah. You recently attended a conference on making connections and building relationships. Any takeaways that you can share with, about that?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the, the big, I, I've not always been a great connector, Jeff. Um, so over the past couple of years, I thought that networking, I really missed out on opportunities in business because I was not a networker. In fact, I, mm-hmm went to a few network meetings. I just didn't like the feel. And instead of exploring other network meetings, I foolishly said, networking is a waste of time. You know, it's a bunch of people that are looking to sell. You know, they put pressure on you to see if you've given leads to anybody. That's clearly not for me. Well, that's not every group out there. So when I went uh, 2019, I revisited it through a friend and I just fell in love with it. I just went in with a different attitude. Number one, I said jokingly, "I said I'm going to become the networking king. I've got a lot to learn, but I made I say you no. Know, I gave myself a little bit of a target, something to poke a little fun at, and I wanted to meet people, see what they were doing, and my intention this time was how can I serve people, and with that, uh, guess what happened? <laughs> you get business." Let me right? see. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So yes. So, yeah. Yeah, so I'd, I'd say that the tip for people who who aren't good at networking is when is first of all get over that and read and watch videos and how to network and do it, learn how to do it the right way, which is have one or two conversations with people, find a connection, right? Not you know spray out twenty five business cards and hope something sticks, but connect mentally, emotionally with people, have great conversations, develop relationships, and your business will grow. but I was doing it wrong for you I mean not doing it is terrible, and then when I went, it was doing it wrong, so I learned, and now I can't say enough about it. It's just an awesome thing, so it's terrific yeah, I Change. love that
0: yeah. I've been in one networking group for 17 years, 40% of my business comes from that group. And I, I can tell you, it's definitely not about the people who walk in and go, here's what I do. And I'd love to do business with all of you. In fact, yeah. you have, that's a networking no, no, exactly. your service mentality is, is exactly what it is. It's how can I help you? What are you looking for? Who can I introduce you to? Because yeah. the law of reciprocity takes over and says, oh, Harry did something nice for me. What can I do for Harry? Harry. It, it it And it may not be that I'm able to do something nice for you, but somehow you're going to get paid back when you serve others. Yeah, uh, that, I wish I knew you yeah.
1: 17 years ago. Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> well, because... I learned from the
0: best. Uh, that yeah. The woman who runs the group that I belong to, she brought networking to Long Island 33 years ago. The group I'm in has been in existence 33 years. Wow. And we've got, I think, two or three members that have been in it that entire time. And by the way, this is by far not the least expensive networking group. It's actually on the much pricier side. Yeah. But if I'm getting 40% of my business from it, I'll, I'll trade that money all day long to get that exactly. kind of referral network.
1: From Yeah. I think right. one of
0: the things is, A, you've got to know how to network, be generous, know how to have a, a one-on-one and you've yeah. got to be in the right group. You know, yeah. you, you just weren't in the right uh, uh group initially. and It's good for you for finding one that actually works. Uh, yeah. And being I mean, open to realizing maybe it's not them, maybe it's me. <laughs>
1: Well, now I can look at people that complain about it And they they complain about the group And say, I haven't gotten a lead I've been there a year I haven't gotten a lead yet Well, how many leads have you given? Well, I've given so-and-so two leads And they haven't given me anything So it's, they're tracking Right? So they're expecting pay for their leads They're They're not generous They're doing it because they're expecting pay So take the pay out of it take the expectation of a return out of it and then see how you do.
0: Yep, Val, who who made that last comment, used to run networking groups and she's brilliant at it. She comes from that service mentality. Uh, And and look, to expect I give you a lead, you're gonna give me a lead, it may not ever happen, but there are other ways besides giving leads, introducing two people to each other who might be able to help each other with nothing in it for for you or me. Uh, As sales experts, I'm constantly helping the people in my group to write emails, to move things forward. Not not for money. I'm not looking for their money. I'm just looking to do what you talk about so much: serve. Because I true call it karma, call it whatever you want. I believe that when you give good, you get good, and yeah, proven to be true for me. Right. Yes. There's something else you talk about, which again, I'm I'm in perfect agreement with: storytelling. Why is storytelling so important when selling? And What advice do you have to salespeople for being a better storyteller?
1: Um, So stories are everywhere, but you have to think a little bit is to tie them in. So I don't know if you've ever read uh, Facts and Figures. I mean, you think about all of the stuff you've learned over the years, that's facts and figures. It's like we just don't remember them. They're they're there. We hear them. We go, oh, wow, that's amazing. And then we forget about it. Stories we remember. So I was doing some research on this, uh, giving a speech one time. The number is people are 22 times, according to this one study, 22 times more likely to remember a point when you tie in with a story. Versus the facts and figures. So, next time you have your PowerPoint slide with all of the facts, all of the data, all the percentages, just tie in a story, right? And, you know, the stories are everywhere. Finding them from others, reading, watching old movies, stories are there, right? You can tie in movies, you can tie in life experiences, you can tie in someone else's experience you can tie i was at the grocery store the other day you know things like that they're everywhere and we we if once we say i'm not very good at storytelling well then you just sold yourself but just get into the habit of and you know the greatest one of the greatest storytellers uh there's a few of them in the in the sacred writings but that's all they did was they told stories and people remember thousands of years later there's still i mean there's stuff we remember from our childhood you know, the, the, tur- the right, the rabbit and the turtle. I mean, what? Oh, there's my dogs. I actually thought that was mine for a second, but
0: he doesn't sound <laughs> like that. Yeah. You're a hundred percent right Harry. Uh, it it looks stories are why I have to check my driver's license in the morning to remember my own name, but I can remember every song from when I was growing up the words to every song because they tell stories. And, uh, I don't know if I mentioned this when we first spoke, but I do stand-up comedy. Guess what I do? I get up and I tell stories that eventually have a punchline. You, you, you mute it. There you go. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, uh, to 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 not be able to – I say there's a particular type of story that you have to sell tell when you're selling, and I call it a, a verbal uh, proof story, which is a story about somebody else like you, Mr. or Ms. Prospect, who yeah. by doing business with me lived happily ever after. It, it helps right. make them more comfortable to make a buying decision, which people are – often hesitant to do because they know there's a consequence
1: yeah so like uh first of all i got to say that you and i i think are twins separated at birth because i tried to do stand up for a while so got a whole bunch of stories for that <laughs> my stories weren't very funny though um <laughs> but the uh you know I, I was listening i did well i did this thing the other day and uh we we're talking about your price is too high and i'm not a huge bo- i don't like the word objections um i look at that as something you have to overcome so i when i was writing i was using the word objections i don't even like this word what's a better word and the word is concerns and people have concerns right they're not i i object to what you're saying (laughs) no your price is more than what i wanted to pay what is that so i thought of when i was listening i was throwing out in this workshop. And people are coming back when they were saying things like, well, what do you mean? My price is too high. Or how much do you think it's worth? And instead, I'm thinking, why not tie this in with a story by first saying, I get where you're coming from. And using that empathy, like you said, and I I love the word empathy because it's me and you and right where people that feel it, they sense that you feel that. So you put yourself in their shoes and you say, you know, I felt like things were out more than what I wanted to spend. So what got me over the hump? And then you can say, I've been like you. And, you know, when I was looking at whatever and when I saw what the price was, I had sticker shock. I was afraid to do business or I was afraid and had all these concerns, but I went ahead and did it. And the results are this or you tie it in with a person that is bought, that bought your stuff that had the same concerns and tell the success story, right? But those stories are way better there than you challenging the person about your price. I don't think that's going to meld the personalities there, the challenge. What's your thought on that? Well, you're never
0: going to win a fight with a prospect, that's for sure. They've got the money. They can meet with you or not. They can do business with you or not. So you're never going to win a fight. And I think, excuse me, I think it's crucial that salespeople understand the difference between your price is too high and I can't afford it. To me, your price is too high means I simply haven't done my job properly. I have Mm -hmm. not shown you enough value. Otherwise, you wouldn't think the price is too high. I can't afford it is a different situation. I've been in situations way more than once where somebody said, Jeff, I want to do business with you, but the money you're asking me for, I just don't have it. Your mm-hmm. price is too high. That means I didn't show you enough value. Otherwise, you would have the money. But if you yeah. re- look, I've worked with companies that we didn't work with immediately because they couldn't, they, they didn't have that amount of money. And sure. I personally don't discount. I, I don't drop a penny. When I give you my my fee,
1: mm-hmm. it's
0: either that or we're not doing business and not to be cocky, but. That's just the way I work.
1: Yeah, I, really?
0: I charge what I believe I'm worth, not a penny yeah. more or less. And if you want somebody who's less expensive, I can introduce you to other competitors who charge less. But if you're looking for me, you're going to pay me what I'm asking right. for.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah. And and by the way, uh, I don't think anybody who's looking to work with you or me or any other sales a guru or expert or trainer is looking for the cheapest sales training they can find. Yeah. The cheapest sales coach. <laughs> to me, they're looking for the best they can possibly find at a price that they feel is reasonable mm-hmm. and they can actually afford. Right. So uh, I, I'm also with you, by the way. I don't like the word objections. I especially don't. I don't mind the word objections as much as I like. I don't like the phrase overcoming objections. Yeah, exactly. Who wants to be overcome? No. Right.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's really the key. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um. So so why are sales training and coaching so valuable? I, th- I think we agree on that one.
1: Yeah. I mean. So people, for instance, uh, I mean, you know this, uh, but people will say, I've been doing, I've been in sales long enough. I know what I'm doing and so forth. Well, then you can ask a couple of questions like, are people ghosting you? And this is a huge complaint. It's like, yeah, all the time. It's just what buyers are. They're ghosting. Right. And then I'll ask, uh, do you have friends? Oh yeah. Do your friends ghost you? No. Okay, so what's the difference? And when we are all about ourselves and we're just calling and asking for the order, the buyer knows that. So I'm not saying there won't be any ghosting in the perfect world of doing the right thing, but if you keep providing value, the buyer will resurface versus a year later, nothing's happened because all you've done is asked where do we stand and sent nasty emails and said, I did all of this for you. Right? So ghosting is something that you could do something about. And there's other things, right? Writing a good email. Um, What are buyers looking for? How do we show empathy? What are the, the listening skills that we have? And so There's tons of opportunity to get better. And I look at it as like I have to get better every day in order to stay on top of. And when people say that they know it all, they've been doing it for 20 years. I love that one because someone I don't know if it's Jim Rohn or somebody said it's like they've done the same 20 years, the same first year they repeated 20 times. Right. So, yeah, there's there's tons of opportunity to be better. And I think buyers are looking for that, just like your waiter experience your server experience you want the best and then you've got people that are going to go throw the f- plate of food at the table are not going to get quite the income that the server that you describe will get so that's my take on it
0: yeah so, uh, so you, you brought up a subject that i did want to talk about ghosting i i hear it all the time also yeah. and look it's not like i've never been ghosted i i yeah. do everything i possibly can to avoid that and i certainly have some techniques for it but you know what do you suggest how can we avoid being ghosted and if we are is there anything that we can do to re-engage a uh, prospect who seems to have disappeared
1: yeah i mean i think the things to do is to continue to look for ways to provide value like if you i i had this person that uh clearly seemed to be ghosting me it was a six-month process from the time they had the agreement to the time that it was signed. So I'm speaking from experience is that that person just went dark on me. So I started thinking like, okay, so why did they do that? Is it change that they're not ready to make a change, right? Because change is frightening for people. Um, status quo is easy. So I started thinking about change and it's like, okay, so how can I help this person? So I just periodically would send an email with an article Something that applied to their business. I just wanted it to not be about me. And thank you, Liz Wendling, for showing me that. But it's just, I kept putting them first. And then finally, the person responded and said, I apologize. I've had a death in the family, COVID in the family, just one thing after another. I just didn't want to, you know, do this, but I'm ready now. Well, I could have been. You know, I could have gone into sales mode. It's like, hey, you promised. You know, you said this. I'm still here. I told my boss, or I told the company, or we're going to do this. And, you know, that when salespeople do that, it's just like you're not putting the other person first. It's all about you. So keep doing the right thing. Provide value for people. Give them a connection. Say, hey, someone might need your services. I've been talking to so and so. I thought of you. Here's an e- This person and I'm introduce them in an email you know, why not? Find something that you can do.
0: Yeah. It comes back to what you said earlier, remembering that you're dealing with people who who are humans. You know, I I talked to uh, one of the things I provide is outsourced sales management. I was talking to one of the reps that I'm managing right now the other day. I said, how are things? She goes, I broke my leg yesterday. Now, who would know that? You know, the, the people that we're trying to sell to have stuff that happens to them. It's it could be that they're just ghosting us because they don't want to talk to us and they don't want to say no. But quite often there is something that's going on and we're yeah. not number one on their list. My my feeling is this, and th- this this to me is what I always tell s- uh, audiences. This is the most important of all the things I can share with you. This one is the most important. I call it the best next action step philosophy, BNAS. Yeah. And it simply means <laughs> you never leave a meeting or a phone call without setting up the next meeting. Or oh, phone yeah. Call. yeah, As opposed to, okay, I'll give you a call next week and we'll do something else. We all know how hard it is to get somebody on the phone. I know that my prospects, as much as they might think they're interested in, you know, when I'm speaking with them, they're not sitting at their desk looking at their caller ID on their phone waiting for Jeff Goldberg to call. So <laughs> Come on. Setting up that, I, I know it stinks, but it's just the way it is. <laughs> I'd take your call, Jeff. <laughs> and I would take yours too, Harry, except we're not prospects for each other. And we both know that people have other priorities. You know, right. uh, You know, when you're sitting in front of somebody, whether it's via Zoom or on a phone call or face-to-face, you know, you are the most important thing. I mean, there's never anything more important than my children or my dog uh, or or my mom or my sister. But other than Mm -hmm. that, the prospect's the most important thing in my world. And right then and there, I'm maybe the most important thing. But as soon as I walk out, they've got 77 other things that may be more important. And taking my call to say, hey, are you ready to sign is not high on (laughs) their list. So it's a let's get that next step every time. And let's do everything we can so that we show them, I am somebody who you should be talking to. I am going to provide value for you. And the sooner we get to this, the better we are. I know that you do the same things that I do. Nobody's looking for the results that you and I can help them get next year. They're looking for it yesterday. Right. So it's on us to make sure that they clearly understand that value. I say salespeople have got to raise their hand and take responsibility. It's not the prospect's fault. It's not their responsibility. It's ours to be excellent communicators and come from that servant mentality that you keep talking.
1: Yeah, I so like that, um, and you know, getting that calendar out. I mean, jeez, we we used to do that with the paper calendars, right? Yes. <laughs> so now everybody has calendar. It's all here. Their phone is handy, or they're looking at their computer. So there's always a calendar there, and to walk out of a meeting without having a follow up time, I'm telling you, is just. It's not where you want to be. Crazy, crazy. Even if
0: they don't have, look, I've spoken to people and I'm sure you have. Oh, I don't have my calendar in front of me. I understand completely, Harry. I've got mine right here. Why don't we do this? Let's set up a meeting for next Tuesday at three. I'm going to send you an Outlook invite. When you get the invite and you look at your calendar, if that doesn't work for you or you and your partner or you and the committee or whatever it is, just get back to me with what does work for you. I will find a way to accommodate your schedule. Yeah. Does it work every time? Nothing works every time.
1: But, exactly. But, but it right, increases the chances. Right. That's all we can do is right increase the chances. Ultimately, you know, when we don't do those things, like the other thing that you can do with a calendar is like leave, let the person make the edits to the calendar. Right. So sometimes we just send it where they can only attend it. But if you check another box, they can slide that slot. And so you could say, if that doesn't work for you, slide it in, you know, this window. Um,
0: Yeah. Another thing. Right. Yeah. And it's why using something like Calendly is so important. They get to you choose. Here's my yeah. calendar, Link. You choose. I, I, I interview for companies You know to hire salespeople. Here, here's my calendar. Pick a time that's best for you. When do yeah. you want to get together? Yeah. And that, that's, again, coming from that server mentality. I see yeah. we're quickly running out of time, and I've got so many more questions for an expert like you. Let's okay. do this one, and I think we'll probably finish on this. Okay. So many salespeople, in fact, I say the majority, they struggle. They're, 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 you know, there's always some winners who are making just tons of money, and it, yeah. it, everything's working. But so many salespeople struggle. and in almost every instance, I don't want to say every, but in almost every instance, whether it's a coaching prospect or, or a, a training prospect, what I find is the number one challenge is the salespeople are simply not speaking to enough decision makers. They're mm-hmm. not setting enough appointments. What are some of the things that salespeople can do to build a solid funnel of prospects that will eventually turn into clients?
1: Yeah, I, I think the number one thing to do is start with some kind of plan. Um, uh, so many you know, I've spoken to just it's so random there's no way you can succeed without some kind of strategy so think of the number of sales that you need right to make the living you want or to hit your plan think where are your best opportunities what type of market it is whether you're calling on you know B2B or B2C where do those people live what kind of businesses they are Start surrounding yourself around those businesses. We have huge opportunities on LinkedIn and social media where a lot of companies now have uh, business development people that are branding for the company. You can get free advertising by commenting on their posts. Guess who else is looking at those posts? It's not just the business development person. The CEO wants to see where that business development is going, they see, wow, Jeff Goldberg, who is this guy keeps commenting on our posts and underneath Jeff Goldberg's name is what Jeff does or how he serves people. And so now you're in the mix, so to speak, but that's just one way, but you've got to be, you've got to have variety, you know, it's just multiple aspects of your market. It can't be just a phone call or just emails. It's all of those with social media Networking, looking at nonprofits, where are these people hiding and get involved in a nonprofit? You'll make connections there. I mean, there's tons of things you can do. Sitting in the office complaining that the economy is tough is not one of them, right? So you just can't do that.
0: Yep. I, I find that uh, I don't meet many women to date if I sit in my house and watch TV <laughs> and complain. You got to get yourself out there. And by the way, you mentioned post. Uh, I happen to love LinkedIn. I think it's the salesperson's best friend. I think so many use it wrong. You know, yep. you, you connect with somebody and they are immediately trying to sell you. But oh, uh, I, uh, I told you, I get 40% of my business from networking. I probably get another 25 from uh, from social media. Yeah. Most of it from LinkedIn simply by, uh, again, it comes back to what you said, servant mentality. I'm constantly posting things that help my audience. There's You'll never see anything from me that says, use my services. I'm the greatest at this. I'm the greatest at that. You should yeah. be using me. It. It's it's all about, here's some stuff that's going to help you. And I find that when you do that consistently and effectively, people raise their hand. And that's what I'm looking for. I I, I teach people to cold call, but I hate doing it myself. Yeah. I want people who raise their hand and go, hey, Jeff, I think I have an interest in, in what you have to offer. Can we yeah. have a conversation? That way they're halfway sold before
1: you even speak to them. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And even cold calling, you can warm up those cold calls. There is so much information about people out there on the Internet. I mean, the easiest thing to do is Google the person. (laughs) Sometimes we don't find them on. I've talked to sales reps. Well, they're not on LinkedIn. I said, have you tried Google? And sure enough, you know, Google will point you to uh, some profile or something. um, And then you've got at least something to go on. Absolutely. Positively. Yeah. And there
0: are great tools like Seamless AI, Zoom Info. Yeah. It's not cheap, but boy, oh boy, you've got people's phone numbers and email addresses. Right. It's astounding. You have right. to invest. Harry, I'm sharing my screen right now. Could you please tell people how can they reach you if they're interested in potentially uh, speaking with you or working with you?
1: Yeah. So I uh, appreciate this. This has been a blast uh, having this conversation. We're definitely going to get you on the uh, Sales Made Easy podcast. Oh, I love uh, sellingwithdignity.com. If you just want to have a one-on-one conversation, it's Harry Chat, baby, harrychat.com. And we'll schedule a time and uh, pick a time that works and just have a conversation. Fantastic. Any final words of advice for the uh, salespeople in our group? Yes. Listen to this guy, Jeff Goldberg, baby. He gets it. So I'm honored to be part of the conversation today. Uh, But yeah, you you definitely have it down and uh, you're uh, an honorary member of the Selling with Dignity group. So, uh, yeah, well, you well get thank it. you. I'm honored
0: to be a it. member of that group, and thank you so much for sharing generously your brilliance with us today. I will end as I always do, gang. Please remember that sales is a game of making things happen. So get out there and make sales happen. Have a great weekend, everyone. Have a great weekend, Harry. Thank you again, very much. great. You. Bye, everyone.
1: Awesome.